In one of the last pictures, I am running. I am running down the street and it is dark. The street lamps are dim and the light oozes down sickly and yellow. I can feel, I can feel my heart almost bursting in my chest, the taste of something sour and unpleasant in my mouth. I am running as fast as I can. I have to get away. A lightning recap. In Selfies by Lavi Tidar, a teenage girl buys a phone in a strange store and pays a terrifyingly high price. Hey, you've got a little time. And we've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am here today with... Christy Baxter. Did it... Did it... Did something happen with the Zoom or did you not say your name? Exactly. And today, (laughs) I am so happy because we're talking about a story. And that story is... Selfies by Lavi Tidar. You notice how I have all the responsibility for pronunciation somehow? (laughs) Did you notice that? I think you noticed that because I think that's on purpose. Correct. And let me start by saying this is a story that I read very recently. Um, Very recently. I believe I was already on this call when I was finishing reading it. And I had a hard time with the introduction temporally. I couldn't figure out how it strung together with the rest of the story. It seemed as if what came first and what came second in sort of idea-wise weren't connected, but there was no break. Like there are other breaks in this with numbering and so forth. And I was kind of like, my mind was blowed. Yeah, I I think that was done intentionally. I'm pretty certain that was done intentionally. I mean, I guess there is a little bit of a break in that there's more space between. So there's some white space providing as a visual break uh, more than we usually get just in between paragraphs. So I think that that's probably what we're doing here. And just it's it's a less official break than mm. the ones that we get uh, further on, like you said, with the numbers, which is the, the numbers of the selfies, you know, selfie number 243, whatever. And I think that's on purpose because I, I think it, I think this needs to blend together. I, yes, I actually, I agree thematically. It's just my brain not being as smart as most people. <laughs> you have <laughs> a make- smart brain, Mr. Garcia. I just couldn't, it was a a jarring thing. And it's actually, I would argue, jarring in a good way. Because once you are used to a world in which you are seeing things as snapshots, you can get into the story more thoroughly. Largely, I think, because you have to come to the snapshots as what the world is. We are only being given a very brief view of the story that's actually going on. And that's true in all stories, but here they're even briefer and they're entirely based on imagery. If you think about it for a bit, which is exactly what social media is. (laughs) Are you a little, uh, a little preoccupied by something there, Chris? 
I need Facebook, man. I can't do it. <laughs> You've got to get it fixed. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely. I like what you said about you know it being all imagery, because I had this moment when we got to that kind of second section that's unmarked by anything but some extra white space. And I was like, wow, this is some really fun structural stuff we're doing here. We have first these, these paragraphs of running in terror, and then we switch right over to it's obviously other people talking about that girl. It's just dialogue. Even if there's a pause, we don't get any sort of description of that pause. It's just uh, an ellipsis between quotation marks. <laughs> and so I, I really liked what was done structurally there. And that's really you know, then we just have these moment by moment by moment, and they're all out of out of place temporally, as you said, they are all kind of mixed matched, which as a person who has a linear and chronological way of thinking, this that made this story a challenge to me personally, I don't think it would necessarily be for most people, but I like knowing the order of things. So I kept on scrolling around to compare the numbers of each of the selfies. <laughs> Yeah, in, and nonlinear storytelling is difficult because, and this will sound both abstract and also concrete, you have to still have a progression towards a known end. And that here is both subverted by the fact that in what is uh, selfie 739, I am dead in this fit photo but that's in the middle of the story. I think in the exact middle of the story. That is the Lebanon, Kansas of this story. <laughs> and then we go, to, we, we still have more story to go, but we know where we're ending up. And in fact, we know where we're ending up from the beginning, but you have to pay off somehow. And I think it does with this sensation of what is so odd about this world and the surreality of it. The, the character is out there, kind of, having issues of distemporalization, uh, of uh, distancing from what may or may not have been their reality. Uh, pictures when she was obviously crying, where she's shown smiling. Uh, that's one of my favorite images there, uh, because it actually references a real situation that many people when they present themselves on social media are that they're internally depressed but externally they're presenting this idea of them being happy and joyous and out in the world and great and as you can see i got a lot of levels out of this one <laughs> <laughs> you really did yes you are peeling this onion and tearing up <laughs> I, I do agree that there is sort of this comparison to be made between, you know, the that saying that social media is just a highlight reel of, of somebody's life. It's not the reality. And here we're getting a highlight reel. We're getting a terrifying highlight reel. But we're <laughs> getting a highlight reel out of order. And it's it's really fascinating to see what happens when that real becomes sort of the low light real that is leading up to the end that comes in the middle. <laughs> What's really fascinating though is the last selfie we're presented is pretty much the first selfie we're presented. 
and that slight additional material we get in the end actually makes it feel like an ending whereas the holding of it back makes it feel like an introduction when you get it in the first place it's all very time doesn't matter which is suitable <laughs> so <laughs> it definitely i think this was a, a super fun choice for the you know spooky season and everything that we're in because the, the temporal shifting that happens here does a really good job of yanking you out of kind of your own reality in a way and making you just grab and grab to try to pull it back to yourself, but you cannot because you're just stuck in this world where this, this girl is losing parts of herself uh, to this, you know, camera. And mm -hmm. it's just, you're just stuck there because she's stuck there. So I think exactly. that, that temporal messing around really was highly important to the story to have the effect that it has. This is a horror of situation as opposed to horror of location or horror of uh, basically being eaten by bears. Um, <laughs> that it is, it's not extreme horror, of course. It's not, I would argue it's supernatural horror, but playing with the delivery techniques of psychological horror. And when you put those two together, it often results in the best of all possible horrors, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I got a lot of the same sensations I got with uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, China Mayville stories, a uh, report on certain events in London, uh, which is very different, but it has the same sort of sensation. And of course, House of Leaves, which whenever I read horror, I always, if it's good horror, it makes me think of House of Leaves. Um, and all of that coming together just really, it got me going. Plus, it was about selfies, and I take so many selfies, just hundreds of them. Do you then put them on Facebook? <laughs> I'm poking at the wound. I'm just poking at the wound. <laughs> I do, but only when I'm moist. Um, oh, I deserve that. I, that was that was well deserved and worth it too. Oh, that was great. It's also true, but I think. Oh, I don't even want. Okay, man, moving on. <laughs> I think that when you have a great writer like Lavi Tadar uh, working with material that is creepy you know one of the things that gets me about this story what's that it's that the economy of language mm. it's it's not at all minimalist it is very stripped down but it gives you just what's in the frame that is the sign of a writer who knows what they're doing yes who knows... because, yeah oh go ahead. no no you. <laughs> i was just saying yes because that's that's you put it perfectly what's in the frame because that's all we're getting is what is in the frame 
of these pictures and you don't get to see what's to the left and what's to the right. And so you do have to keep it very pared down in that sense. And so I had a, uh, a zine back in the day when I was a part of a amateur press association uh, called the Everlasting Club, uh, which was called the thing just off screen. Oh. And it's the fact that we don't know anything that's going on on the outside of that that bubble that actually makes what we're shown that much more scary because it doesn't make sense with what we know should be outside of that view yeah it's it's like a house with all the windows but one have have no lights in them and somehow that makes that one window even a little scarier because you're like well, what's going on in the other rooms hmm and now I can only think of the cover for uh, Flowers in the Attic. Uh, oh, gosh. And this story, it does uh, several classic horror things. And this moment that I'm going to talk about in particular was a little too relatable for me. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there is someone standing outside my house under the street lamp, but I don't dare look. It's so quiet. It's so quiet and nothing moves. Nothing moves, but I know it's there. The silence is like a living thing or the echo of living things. It's like a dark chamber in my room and the only illumination comes from outside. The light presses against the curtains. Something is standing outside under the lamp. That I, uh, one time in high school, I just lived on like a normal suburban street, you know, kind of like middle-class-ish. And I, everybody was in bed. I was always like the last to go to sleep. And I looked out the window as I was, you know, locking up the door, there was a window in the door. I look out the window and there's just someone in a trench coat standing across the street, staring at my house directly, like dead center across the street. And that person stayed there for several minutes. And it was, I just kept on checking and checking. Are they gone yet? Are they gone yet? Cause I can't go to bed <laughs> until they're gone. And then also somehow that's even scarier. And so, that's that's like one of the few like classic horror movie moments I've had in my life. So when I read that in in this, I got that feeling of ah oh, no, I don't like it. I gotta fess up. That was me. I <laughs> I was just taking my trench coat out for a walk. I was tired. <sighs> that tree Weird seemed box. like a really nice one to stand underneath, and you were like, "Well, that's a pretty blue house. I'm gonna like think about how blue it is while I stare at it creepily." How did you know? Because <laughs> I was across the street. Oh, yeah. Actually, I've been reading a lot about Mothman sightings around Chicago, and a lot of them are people seeing it through a window. And so it's relatable to me, too, in a third-person omnipotent sort of way. Uh, yeah, windows are freaking me out right now. I'm telling you that. They're, they're, I'm, having, I'm having a problem with windows. It's fun. So am I, actually. I'm trying to get my, my old 486 <laughs> working, but it just won't power up on Windows 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hey, got any other thoughts on this one there, Christy? Um, no, I think we covered all of my, uh, all of my brilliant thoughts. <laughs> and we covered all of my mediocre and brilliant thoughts. So. <laughs> hey, Christy. Hey, Chris. What are we going to read next week? Next week, we are going to read The Doll 
by, uh, dang it, come on, uh, Daphne du Maurier is how I'm assuming it's pronounced. I've never actually heard it pronounced. Nobody's ever pronounced it in front of me. And so I'm going with what I think is the, the correct French, French pronunciation, but I was actually Googling pronounced du Maurier and it's all YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's accurately pronounced uh, Daphne du Maurier. And uh, yeah, that's dang it. not true <laughs> <laughs> I think so. yes well until until we decide to butcher her name again this has been short story short podcast word up <laughs>